Hello, you're listening to an SSFD Network podcast from the School of Social and Family Dynamics at Arizona State University. Hi, I'm Jennifer Rome, and today we're going to do a podcast, and I'd like to welcome you to seeing how the Stanford School and the Pat Tillman Veterans Center have joined together a working relationship for the benefit of the ASU community, understanding military families, our veterans, and how we interlink with one another. Hi, this is Jennifer Brome, and I am delighted to do our continuing series of the relationship of faculty and the Pat Tillman Center. And it's been wonderful because we have been able to gain a working relationship. And we know that the college is dedicated to inclusiveness and we're headed for that and looking at an area of uh, expanding our understanding of our veteran students. So with me today, I'm really privileged and honored to have uh, Sean Banzoff come and uh, talk to us. And he is the Assistant Director of Student Success with the Pat Tillman Center at Arizona State University. And Sean, welcome. Hey, Uh, thanks, Jennifer. Appreciate it. Excited to be a part of this. Good, thank you. Well, first of all, congratulations. We also have an author. Oh, <laughs> I was a little nervous. I've never chatted with um, an author on a podcast before, so I'm gonna be a little nervous. I have to admit, but here's your book. <laughs> <laughs> there it is. And, and I want to say that when um, I read it. Um, I wasn't the only one standing online at the bookstore to get it either. I want you to know. And I got the last one off the shelf. Wow. (laughs) I did say, you know, I know the author. (laughs) Uh, That's great. So anyway, um, I read the book Mm. and I have to tell you, I laughed. I cried. Mm. was moved. I felt like and you invited me into your soul, that you um, were willing to share uh, who you were, and most importantly, your love and your passion of the military. I mean, it's so evident, and yet it's straightforward. You're talking about issues, but there's no pity party in it at all. Uh, um, I don't think anyone can read it and not be moved Mm. and transformed. And as someone who teaches at the university, you threw in some theory too. I was really excited about that. So anyway, so tell us a little bit about the book, what did you just give us a little bit and then we'll move on and uh, talk about the, the veterans at Arizona State University. All right, uh, Jennifer, wow, uh, that that might be the uh, most enjoyable little review I had in person yet. So thank you uh, for that. Uh, yes, I, I published the book, The Five L's, A Practical Guide for Helping Loved Ones Heal After Trauma. I did that, uh, let's see, right in the middle of COVID. So uh, February 21, March 21. So it's just been out and published 
on Amazon there for, for the last year. And uh, the book itself, it, it really is dedicated to my wife, Jody. Um, Jody did these five things for me when I came home from Iraq, helped me to walk through my post-traumatic stress by doing five, what I call very simple things. Uh, they're very practical things that anybody can do, right? And uh, it really stems from that, but also to stem the suicide pandemic that we have amongst our veterans, you know, 22, 22 veterans a day uh, kill themselves, they commit suicide. And, and I thought, you know, I've got to do something about it. And if I have some sort of platform to do that, I'm going to do it. So I took the, uh, took the time to write this book. And uh, because here's what I've noticed is that family who love their veteran sometimes don't know what to do to help them. And what I saw Jody do through the first, you know, six months, and she continues to do these things for me, uh, because I'll never be different. I'll never be the same as I was before I went to war. I'm always going to be post-war Sean. And so, you know, I'm a new person, a different person. And Jody's had to figure that out. And, and so I wrote the book. So if you love somebody who's been through trauma, you can help them. You don't have to be a trained psychiatrist, psychologist. Here's five practical things anybody can do for anybody who's walked through trauma. So it's to love, to listen, to learn, to lessen, and to lead, you know? So these five things, and I, I go through each one of them in the book, as you've seen, and, and I'm really pretty proud and happy of uh, the results of the book. And, and I see a lot of people... I just spoke to somebody at a book signing uh, two nights ago that I've helped change. She told me that, I, that the book has changed her and her husband's life as they've dealt through some trauma in their marriage and with their family. I helped change their life through the book. And that just means a lot, Jennifer. It means a lot. So Well, I can certainly see how I mean, I have to admit, after I read it, I, it changed some of my experiences that I had that um, I really did not totally understand, mm. although I will never totally get what another person is going through. It did increase my knowledge base and my ability to hear. Mm what their voice was saying because I've done a lot of work with the veterans that are homeless yeah and uh you know and you sit there and you listen to some of the stories and you, you know you find yourself not being able to wrap your brain around it yeah and, it's hard uh, one of your things that your book really pointed out to me I don't have to wrap my brain around it what I have to do is be loving and supportive yeah and really my role. And <laughs> so, um, so yeah, I think it's helped me become a better person. Oh, so I love, well, I told you, I love the book enough. that's on my suggested reading list. Yeah. Class. So, uh, and I hope the students will read it. I hope so too. Maybe required sooner than they think. <laughs> and so, Anyway, but one of the things, you know, I'm looking at it, you know, I teach the working with military families class, mm -hmm. have a diverse group of people in the class, and I love having the diversity, you know, I have students that don't know any connection with military, sure. I see cadets, I have children that are from military families, and mm -hmm. I have 
assignments and I have active duty. And I really enjoyed the mixture because they're amazing, amazing uh, uh, dialogues that go. But I also have veterans in some of my other classes. Mm. And um, one of the instances that sort of shocked me and actually had me walk over to the Pat Tillman uh, Center. I mean, I've worked with all of you for a long time, but I actually went over to talk to Michelle to help me understand mm. what I had a Marine in my class and he had just come back and there were students, it was a large lecture, there were students in the back talking, <laughs> you know, I, uh, not particularly respectful, but it happens. He stood up and uh, he just, you know, dressed them down and it startled me. And, um, and I actually asked him to come to my office because wanted to know what what triggered that and uh, and he explained and then after he explained I walked over to Pat Tillman and talked to Michelle and I got a better grasp on that but what it did make me realize and that's what I'm going to ask you to talk a little bit about is the stressors they um have had a certain stressor within the military, but then they come home and now they're going to school, they're working, they have uh, uh, families and, uh, and they bring a lot of other ex you know, experiences that you would hope no one would actually have to have. Right. And, and some experience that's helped them. So anyway, explain what this means as them as a student. Mm -hmm. I guess is the best way that we as faculty really need to start to understand. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I think that uh, your, your course that you just described and that you went to talk to uh, Michelle about is uh, very similar to many other incidences that we've had just like this, where a student veteran will stand up in the, in the midst of the class and and, uh, you know, dress down someone for disrespecting a professor. Um, you know, it's one of the cultural norms in the military, no matter what branch you are, whoever is speaking, whoever is the person that's in charge of a formation or, or a moment, they get your, you know, all of your attention should go to that person as they speak. Uh, you know, I talk about in my book about listening. Uh, we have a command in the military. It's called stand at ease. So even if we're standing in formation, um, it's a they call it a position of attention. But this is a modified position of attention to where you can put your hands behind your back and you move your feet out to about shoulder width. And the one thing that you can move on your body is your head. It can move back and forth as the person that's speaking moves in front of a formation. So what that is, is it shows the soldier, Marine, whoever, to pay attention to the person that's in the front of the formation, uh, to use your head and your eyes to follow them as they converse with you. What we find, I think, with our student veterans is we come back into this civilian kind of world and we're in the higher education world. When you're in a, um, in a classroom, even in the military, I don't know if you know this, but we have what's called setting at attention, where you must sit upright with your hands like this on your knees and you can move your head, but you're not supposed to slouch. You're not supposed to talk. And so when we come into higher education and you see 
a couple of students in the background just kind of jaw jacking and they're not really paying attention. That's a complete reversal of how it is in the military. And so you can see how a student can can be like you're disrespecting the speaker. And uh, and it can just be too much eventually um, for that to happen. And and the other part is, as you know, the average age of a student veteran is like 31 years of age. And so uh, compare that to the average university student, which is 18 to 22, right around there. And so it's a maturity level too. You're being disrespectful on a level that is kind of immature. And so uh, those are those are some of the struggles. And you know, I think also some of the things that uh, I've noticed there's a there's a hidden curriculum uh, it's called where things are expected of our student veterans to be able to perform that they're not aware of. So it's like hidden from the veteran because they haven't been in higher education for a long time. Well, they haven't maybe never been in higher education, but the high school student who transitions, Jennifer, over into college is just part of that flow. But once you unplug and you go to the military, you lose that flow. Uh, so there's, there's different things. Um, military person goes into the military. What they are used to is working very team oriented, right? So everything that they do, there's shared leadership across the board within your team to accomplish a mission. And then when they get out of that and they come, the professor expects them to have complete autonomy, to, to do things and work things on their own to uh, lead themselves, and that's completely opposite. And also, uh, one other thing is that in the military, you're given direct specific orders on how to do things, right? I want right. you to accomplish this mission, and what I need you to do is go to this person, get this amount of gear and supplies, go to this location at exactly this coordinate, and then accomplish these seven tasks when you get there. This task, this task, this task, this task, right? And they, they get it along the line. This is what you do. Come into higher education, and a professor gives you this kind of vague understanding of possibly how they would grade you to accomplish a task, right? And that is, that's a complete juxtaposition. They're like, I, I have no idea what they want. They're not being specific. And then the professor says, well, don't you know how to critically solve a problem? Well, I've been solving all these problems, but I'm giving all these directions. You're not giving me any directions. So you can see a few of the things that are, that are different. I, I definitely can. You know, we work very hard to do those vague directions. Yes. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, it's, it's like top of our list. I have to admit, I like that sitting at ease. I'm going to see how I can work that into myself. Oh. Uh, anyway, as you know, you know, military families are my focus. And, and one of the things that when I have had the opportunity to talk with uh partners, spouses. Um, it's interesting to me that sometimes there's a lot more anxiety with the family after they go to school or kids running around and somehow, and there's, and again, there's role changes and everything that goes on. And somehow um, a lot of times the person that had stayed at home 
don't feel that there's a line of communication. But when I've talked with the veteran students at times, they feel they don't have that line of communication, that there is not that understanding that goes on. So you have now spent a lot of time with veterans. You've experienced it. You've had the communication with your uh, wife. You just finished saying that, you know, the person that went is not the person that came home. And uh, so what... So what do you think about uh, if, if in a, a military family uh, class, then mm -hmm. how do I address this? Because it comes up, I can assure you. The lack of communication between- Yeah, the lack of communication from the person that now has transitioned into uh, mm -hmm. military, into uh, civilian life, but that of a student and a worker. And uh, they feel like now there's still no time for the family. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. so, and so what you have is you have one person who's telling me I'm doing this for the family. And the other person is saying, they don't have any time for us, the children. Mm -hmm. Yeah. children what they need and and so you know i without going into marriage counseling sure what what lines of uh communication would you suggest that i might emphasize in the, a, 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 you know a military family class sure oh wow this is definitely an issue right so when you're serving in the military and then you have dependents, your spouse, your, your kids that are not serving, uh, there's, there's a lack of communication that is forced upon you anyway. So, you know, you're in the military, you're not really allowed to communicate too much of what's going on to your family. Um, and, and so they keep that for a lot of different reasons for operational security, obviously for every mission, because families talk to families and then pretty soon, enemies might know troop movements. And so you're trained and trained and trained that to not really communicate what it is that you're doing on any kind of concrete level. So, you know, I couldn't tell my wife everything that I was doing. I, in fact, when I was in Iraq, I, I made the determination with her that we agreed that I would only call her once a month <laughs> while I was away for 15 months uh, for a lot of different reasons. But one is I had to be able to concentrate on what I was doing so I could get myself and my troops home alive. And two, I couldn't, I couldn't hardly handle hearing her voice or my kids' voices because it would just, you know, it would break me down. It, it would, you know, I would just miss them more. And so uh, we agreed to that. You know, we messaged back and forth to, to stay in contact. But uh, so what my point is, is you're, you're trained in the military not to communicate things that are mission essential. So now I get out and now I'm working in the civilian world and going to school and my family still isn't feeling like they're being communicated with. It's because I've been trained not to communicate what I'm doing, uh, which is hilarious, right? Because in the military, communication is essential. I've been trained pretty well on how to communicate, but who to communicate it with is not what I've been trained to do. So <clears throat> it's almost like a reschooling of that. Uh, helping a student veteran understand that you need, you need to communicate with your family with what's going on. 
Uh, this is your mission and look at your wife or your husband as the, the commander. You want to make sure that they know what you're doing so that they can be supportive of you. Uh, you just got to you got to help them see it in that light and, and they'll do it. But they need to be told that they need to do it with succinctness. Uh, it can't be. That's one thing I always tell people who are dealing with veterans. Teach them. Uh, I try to teach them to be very direct in what you want from them not to be wishy-washy and kind of nebulous, but to say, student veteran, you're not, com you're not communicating with your wife what's going on and she's worried about you. Oh, I, th I thought I was. Well, you're not. You need to let her know this, 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 and this. Roger that. I'll get on it, right? Uh, <clears throat> to put it in those, depending on how long they've been in the military, it's going to take a lot of reprogramming, Jennifer. A lot of reprogramming, for sure. Um, I, I would tell a family member to really sit down and have that conversation with them. I would say, you need to not be nebulous about it as the spouse and say, I need you to communicate these things for me so that I can be supportive of you on your new mission as a student. That's what I would say, yeah. You know, that's very helpful uh, because I think if um, the, individuals would understand how you're trained only to communicate in a certain manner to certain people. So um, I can tell you right now, this afternoon, I'm gonna start my lecture. <laughs> I'm writing up a lecture that covers this. So no, yeah. that's really been very helpful to me because it gives that base of understanding mm. that people can move forward. Yeah. Now, you know, I have I this, I have this really cool story about, uh, about that. It might even help you. I had a professor here at ASU, had a student, student, not a veteran, active duty student that was overseas in a deployed area. And this was an English teacher. And he, he was asking the student to provide details of a location that they were currently in, right? Or a place. So, you know, smells and and lighting and, and all of, you know, to be very descriptive. And the student got back to the professor, I can't do that. Well, you're gonna get an F. No, you don't understand, I can't do that. So what, what he thought they were asking for was critical and sensitive information that he couldn't just give to anybody. He was in a secure location where he couldn't provide descriptions of where he was. So just, it was figured out actually you could, like the chow hall, the place you're eating, the dining facility, if you just wanted to describe that kind of place, like the smells and the sounds, you, you didn't have to give out secured information. The professor had no idea that the student couldn't give out information about where they were because, you know, well, it could get people right. killed, well, of course. right? Yeah. Right. It's just it was an interesting story and that's a very interesting story mm -hmm. you know it's interesting because since i also teach online i have a lot of active duty in my class mm -hmm. and i had two individuals who i i don't know where they were but at the time i'm guessing they were in you know one of our war zones mm -hmm. and they wrote and said that they had problems with internet Oh, yeah. They didn't know if they could meet um, all the deadlines on time. 
And so I wrote back to them and I said, so are you telling me that missiles are more important? Than <laughs> but I made sure I put a smiley face. Right, I right. I no, no. Serious. And I got an email back saying, no, ma'am. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and it's true. But I understood, you know, having been a military wife for over 20 years. Yeah. Understand me about... Um, you know, you're never going to know. <laughs> no. Learn no. to live with that. You're never going to know the mission. You're never going to learn. And I'm just grateful that we got a NATO assignment and I spent my time enjoying Europe. So I really don't. That's good. <laughs> that was my mission to enjoy. <laughs> yeah. and, uh, and I made the most of it. Um, but anyway, so. I know, and I think we're, you know, I, I've been working with, as you have, the Pat Tillman Veterans Center since its inception. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and I, I don't have enough praise for it. And one of the things that I appreciate as um, a faculty member, you're very supportive to us. And mm -hmm. um, I know that it, uh, you and Michelle and several others were best. Mm. And for a couple of years, the success when it was just in the classroom, I was always an invited guest. Mm -hmm. And uh, but I know that you do it for students, you do it for faculty. Um, tell us a little bit about it. I get private tutoring, so I haven't taken the course. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the the proving the proving grounds. Are you talking yes. about? Yeah. Yes. So. It's something that we developed, you know, Michelle and I were talking about, we expect staff and faculty to just be able to handle uh, our student veterans without specific training for them. And so, you know, the word proving grounds, it's a, a proving grounds is where the Department of Defense tests and practices new skill sets before they send it out in the battlefield. Uh, you don't want to send a Marine out to war with a weapon that's never been fired or tested. Well, what we were seeing is that we were sending student veterans to the classroom and to these different areas with staff and faculty that had no, no prior training. So we developed the proving grounds for our staff and faculty. And it's an hour long training that Michelle and I give, and it kind of gives professors uh, street cred with a student veteran. You know, they, oh, well, you've been trained a little bit. And we just kind of go through some of the idiosyncrasies of veteranhood. Um, you know, I always like to say, if you've met one veteran, you've met exactly one veteran. We're not a monolith. We're different people. Michelle's way different than I am. I served 21 years. She served four years, right? And so you're going to see this big bandwidth of different kind of characters. And the one thing I always say in the Proving Grounds is if, if you could just see us through the lens of humanity, that would help a lot. Like I'm a person just like you, Jennifer. Every veteran is just first a person. And so if you can see them that way, it really helps us. Uh, we always feel like we kind of get lumped into this group where we're broken. Um, we're not all broken. Some of us do have problems. Some of us are walking through those problems. But if you first, I guess, view the veteran through the lens of love, I think that you're going to go a long ways to helping them uh, be successful at their time at the university. And, you know, and, th and that's really, I'm not asking, you know, the dependents or the military families that are watching this to, to love more. I'm just saying, always look through that lens first when you look at your veteran. Um, that's what they need probably more than anything 
I heard the other day that uh, there was a, a survey, the United States, 39% of everyone in our country feels alone and or lonely. And I thought about that a lot. And uh, veterans are part of that population. And there's a lot of us that feel alone or lonely. And if we can, if we can start with the word love and work through that lens, uh, you're going to see a lot more success in, in your students. So, yeah. I think that's great advice. I actually think it's good advice when we look at everyone, to be honest. Yeah. And, uh, so true. You know, I, uh, I really, really appreciate it. Um, one of the things that I do want to share before we end our time together is that I've done a couple of focus groups, as you know, with uh, our veterans. And one of the things I heard about is that a lot of the veterans wanted to take the working with military families class, but it was never at a good time because they're older and they have jobs in the afternoon. Mm -hmm only in class and it used to be at you know four o'clock in the afternoon so not a good time and uh, anyway we worked very hard we heard it, they weren't alone other students did the same thing and we worked very hard and it is now a totally online class oh awesome and, uh, so i'm hoping that this will increase the, the numbers and the opportunity especially uh, to have the diversity. I, as I said, I love diversity in all my classes. And yeah. Because it brings depth. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and most importantly, it's not up to me to, <laughs> to bring everything. Yeah. And so I always tell my students, I'm old. I have different type experiences. That mm -hmm. Some are meaningful and the others, you just shake your head and leave saying, you know, she really is old. <laughs> So um, that's not true. Well, yeah, I think it might <laughs> be. But anyway, but it's online now. We mm -hmm. have been working on it. We're designing it. So there's flexibility, mm -hmm. of course, and uh, very excited about it. So um, that's great. Next time you're with, you know, uh, your group, you can say, we listened, we heard, and working on it. And so awesome. anyway. Thank you so much for sharing this time with me. Thank you for the insight you gave. And thank you for writing that book. Oh, absolutely, Jennifer. Thank you for your second one. Oh, yeah. Well, I am working on it. I've started it. Of course it. you are. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I want to kind of leave you with this, I guess, for anybody that's, that's watching this or listening in. Uh, I've been doing kind of an informal poll as of late with, with veterans. And it's just an informal poll for self-value. Uh, what I've noticed is this. I think I've, I've polled about 30 different student veterans. And I asked them on a scale of 1 to 10, how much do they value themselves? And 1 being, I don't value myself very much. And 10, I feel like I'm a rock star. And I totally value myself. And can I tell you that of those 30 that I've polled over the last couple of weeks, the average is around a 2, Jennifer. Oh. I've had a couple of students actually give me the, the number of 0.5, you know? So my whole thought process right now is how can we, as family members, as faculty, as staff at ASU, begin to pour in self-value into our student veterans? Uh, you know, when you unplug from the military, you found your value in your team. 
you know, your fire team, your squad, your, you know, your platoon, you had, you found your value there. And when you unplug from that, sometimes we have a really difficult time figuring out how we really care about ourselves. You know, how much value do I have in myself? And, and so whatever it is that we're doing, if we can help add that self-value back, I think that we're going to see a positive uptick for success in the classroom, in our families. And so, you know, ask your veteran, you know, do you value yourself? It's not, it's, it's odd to ask that, but people oftentimes don't value themselves very much. And if you're used to never valuing yourself apart from a team, you're going to struggle outside of that team. So, yeah, I just wanted to leave you with that. And so everything you do to add value. Thank you. I think that's a wonderful note for us to end on. And I hope you know that Pat Tillman will continue to have my support. I truly, truly am privileged to work with all of you there. And uh, and so, but valuing, I, I couldn't think of a better way to end this. <laughs> and uh, anyway, I hope we'll get a chance to chat again. Let's do. Okay. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Here at the School of Social and Family Dynamics, we recognize that the land where we host this podcast at Arizona State University belongs to the Maricopa and Pima peoples. Connect with us and get access to all of our podcasts by visiting the sanfordschool.asu.edu slash podcast, where you will also find links to all of our social media channels.